0: In our sermon this week, we're working our way through uh, Advent. And Advent is this time of preparing for Christmas. And that's been our theme this year, preparing for Christmas. And so we've had a number of sermons. It started back at the very end of the book of Amos as we finished that series and started Advent at the same time. Then we've had a couple of other sermons preparing us. And last week, Tyler preached on Mary and the song she sang. And that song is just so special to me that I thought, we got to do at least two sermons on that. And not that Tyler didn't do a great job, because he did, and you want to listen to that sermon. But I think there's just so much in there. And I think that if we look at it through the eyes of Amos, we see it through a different lens. It's not a a better lens. It's just a different lens. And so this morning, we're going to look at that. You know, I think the challenge with Mary is that a lot of us just don't relate to her. Uh, especially us men, you know, um, a young, pregnant, submissive teenager. Yeah, there's not much there that says, oh, man, that's how I felt this week. Dale, tell me how I get in touch with my inner emotions so I can channel that a little bit. But what if we've misunderstood Mary? What if she wanted to see a revolution and launch a crusade? A crusade where wrong was made right, where oppressed are treated differently and the wrong was made right. We're enslaved or set free. And what if that was all in this song? Well, let's read the song and then let's try and unpack some of that. Uh, The story is Mary finds out she's going to have a baby. Uh, It's going to be Jesus, going to be by the Holy Spirit. She's not married. It's going to be a virgin birth. She goes to see Mary and... Mary's baby, John the Baptist, who's still in Mary's wo- in Elizabeth's womb, uh, leaps with joy and, and Elizabeth talks to her. And then Mary sings this song out of all that. My soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. For He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as He said to our fathers. Well, Mary's painting a picture of Christmas there. And I wonder kind of what are the competing pictures that we have of Christmas. And I think there's a number of them. I think there's commercial Christmas. That's where we all go out and buy stuff. That's where we tell Santa what we want. And that's where on on, uh, Boxing Day, we all go out and buy what we didn't get. So there's commercial Christmas. There's party Christmas. Now, yeah, I know it's COVID. We're not doing party Christmas this year. But we did it last year, and we're going to do it next year. And party Christmas is just where we get together. It's where we get together with family, with friends. There's food. There's other stuff that Baptists don't talk about. But, you know, it's, it's that time of just being together at Christmas. Uh, Dawn gets this uh, kind of reminder of five years ago on your Facebook page, and one of them was just she'd written at one point, we had supper with like 55 different people in a week because we'd gone to all these different Christmas parties. So there's this party Christmas, there's sentimental Christmas, you know, the I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my mind, kind of Christmas, um, where we warm our hands by the fire in the manger. And uh, yeah, you know, it's not that different from martyr Christmas. Martyr Christmas is we think of this poor girl, unwed, far from home, having a baby in a barn. And uh, as I say, tune in on Christmas Eve and we'll unpack that a little bit more. But I think when we read the Magnificat, we get a different Christmas. We get thoughtful Christmas, which is why maybe we don't read it as much as we should. But it said Mary pondered all these things in her heart. And I think this song was some of the things she pondered. I think this song is the result of her asking herself the simple question, Who is he in yonder stall? Who is this baby that is born? And I think her answer would have been, he's someone who has come to change the world. And that takes us into politics. So I don't know if you expected politics in a sermon on uh, the last Sunday before Christmas, but you're going to get a bit of it today. Um, If you want to understand Christmas, I mean, really understand Christmas, you need to understand the politics of the time. And one way to do that is to watch the movie, The Nativity. It came out a few years ago. More exactly, watch like the first 15 minutes, because in that, you learn the background. After that, it becomes a Sunday school pageant. They managed to spin eight verses into like an hour and a half. But in that first part, you see, the story of Christmas is so anchored in the politics of the day. Uh, According to Luke, uh, Herod was in power, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius was governor. These are the guys in power. This was Roman might at its finest. This was Herod's paranoia that we're going to see in the killing of the babies. This is cruelty and oppression. It's people under the iron fist and the boot heel of invading armies. Life was hard and brutal for the average peasant person, which Mary and Joseph were. And into that political reality comes a baby. And as Mary thinks about a baby, she she begins to sing this song, a song with a deceptively simple beginning, but a devastatingly political ending. So the first part's about me, it's uh, the first part's all about her. My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant, which is her. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. And here Mary is just self-reflective. She sings about her humble station in life. She sees how God is doing great things for her, how he shows mercy to generations. And she has this line that probably none of us would put in a song that we were writing about ourselves. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Yeah, not such a humble part of the song, but she's right. I mean, our Catholic friends will hail Mary every day virtually, and they will bless her name as we do as the mother of our Lord. But then she shifts gears and she moves from me to him. The focus comes off her and onto what Jesus came to do. And the last verse of the first part is sort of the doorway to the second part. It kind of looks both ways. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now comes the second part. And to me, if the first part is like every Christmas Eve service you've ever been to, the second part is like the Communist Manifesto. So, February the 21st, 1848, Friedrich Engels, Karl Marx published what we in English call The Communist Manifesto. It was a distillation of the ideas that Marx had had and he'd been developing them while pondering what does society mean and he jotted some of those ideas down in the British Library in London and chapter one of that Communist Manifesto opens this way. The history of all hitherto existing societies is the history of class struggles. Freeman and slave, patrician and plebeian, lord and serf oppressor and oppressed, stood in constant opposition to one another, carried on an uninterrupted, now hidden, now open fight, a fight that each time ended either in a revolutionary reconstitution of society or in the common ruin of the contending classes. Now, I know you didn't expect to get the Communist Manifesto here, but let's just read the second half of Mary's uh, Magnificat. God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. Mary, Marks. I don't know if you ever noticed, their names are only different by one letter. In fact, that one letter is only one letter apart in the alphabet, Y and X. Uh, Is that a coincidence? Of course it is. But it is an interesting thing. I mean, that's a manifesto, isn't it? He's scattered the proud. He's brought down the rulers. he's sent the rich away. He's rescued Israel. It's not sentimental Christmas. And Mary in this video said, I knew he would change everything. And I think at Christmas, we often picture Mary as a sort of gentle mother, pale, unearthly beauty, robed in baby blue, innocent face, praying, and, you know, haloed. Her song chanted by angelic choir boys, maybe in remote chapels. In a way, it's just like irrelevant to life. And we need to remember that Mary was a rough, poor peasant girl. She longed for justice for her oppressed people. She was a refugee. She was about to become a refugee traveler. They would go to Egypt to escape Herod's trying to kill the baby. They would live without shelter. They would be seeking asylum. She was an unmarried mother traveling with Joseph, forced to give birth in unpleasant and unsanitary situations. No, Mary's song isn't a pious hymn. It's a revolutionary anthem. An anthem for a God who's intervening for hope and justice and peace and joy in a world of human blindness, selfishness, arrogance, and greed. And the song says that Jesus has a way of turning things upside down. He will scatter the proud, bring down the rulers, send the rich away empty, rescue Israel. It starts with the proud. God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. In other words, Jesus comes as part of the ending of the arrogance of people. His coming means an end to insatiable greed and lust for power. The mighty will be brought down. It's what happens to all those people in the beginning of the story. None of them are around by the time Jesus' public ministry starts. Proud, boastful men lift their heads to challenge the Almighty. He just swats them down like flies. World leaders come and world leaders go. They come, they rise to power, and sooner or later, they disappear. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Proud men expect to carry it all with them, but eventually everyone dies. Eventually, justice prevails. And then the rulers. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but's lifted up the humble. It's this great reversal of fortune that Mary is singing about. The coming of Christ brings this. The proud are brought low, the humble are lifted up. And what men call luck, Mary calls the work of God. When someone loses it all, we say, man, they had bad luck. Not Mary she understands that behind faceless luck stands the sovereignty of God. He lifts up and no one can bring down. He brings down, no one can lift up, whether it's Herod or Caesar or Quirinius. The ups and downs of history are just part of the hand of God at work. One person rules, then another, then another replaces them. But behind it all is the hand of God. And the movements which seem to upset society are all regulated by God. The poor despair of their fate, but God delights to reverse their fortunes. Not fully in this world. Some of this is a promise of the world to come. But all of this is part of God's justice. Third thing she talks about is the rich. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. And it's probably the most revolutionary part of Mary's song, right? only does the coming of the Christ upset the proud of the world and the rulers of the world. But she talks about the hungry being fed and the rich being sent away empty. You know, the gospel comes into society, it changes. We've been giving to the Food Grain Bank this Christmas, and that's money that will be used to help the poor, to help people who have food insecurity, to help people whose land is not able to produce, to help people learn how to develop better techniques for subsistence and better agriculture. Whenever the gospel has entered a society, it has helped that society to change. It always has the effect of lifting people up economically as well as dealing with the spiritual challenges that are there. The gospel not only works an in inner transformation, it works an outward transformation because if an inner transformation has effectively happened, it will change the outside as well. There's been lots of challenges with the church. There is no doubt about that. But the gospel that has gone forward has helped change the world. And so there is this economic implication to the gospel. When gospel principles are followed, the hungry are filled and the rich are sent away hungry. It results in generations of believers who found hospitals and clinics and libraries and colleges and universities... And in large part, the liberties we enjoy today and the economic standing that's ours has come about because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is the manifesto of Mary. This is the manifesto of God. This is part of why Jesus came into the world. And I just want to ask you a couple of questions as we finish up this morning. The first question, it's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, some of these questions, if I haven't already made you uncomfortable by what I've been talking about. But the first one is Does your Jesus ever grow up? We love baby Jesus. Everybody loves Christmas because he's no threat to anyone. Just a cute baby with an awesome birth story. I mean, this Jesus is no threat. He grows up, he becomes a threat to the status quo. I mean, Herod will kill the babies in Bethlehem out of fear that this baby will grow up and what he will do. And I guess the first question is, is your Jesus just a Christmas baby? Just a nice story. And then secondly, is he just the nice Jesus? I mean, if he does grow up, is he just the nice Jesus that loved everyone and accepted everyone and never challenged anyone? expected anyone to be a better person, you know, except the religious types who, you know, he told to chill out and relax and ease up on all that holiness stuff. I just think that's the average Jesus of the average person on the streets of Calvary. Everybody loves Jesus because they have made him, in a sense, the way they want him to be. They see him in eternally accepting, never judging, always helping. Not the one who said, hey, go and sin no more. Not the one who says, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. Not the one who said, you must be born again. And so the question comes, does your Jesus grow up? And if he grows up, does he just grow up to be nice, Jesus? Which brings the third question, did Jesus die for your sins? Or is your Jesus someone who just came? to give advice and to show us how to love? Or did Jesus come because all of us have sinned and fall short of God's desire for us, that we've been separated from him and in his death he comes and pays a penalty and defeats the power of sin so that we can begin to live a life for God that reflects what we've been talking about here a life that makes a difference in the reality, and the real politic of the world. Did Jesus die for your sins? Because the other side of this is Jesus could just be a Marxist Jesus. He could just be a Jesus who come, came to change everything. And although he did come to do all these things that we said, he came to do them through first changing us and helping us to have a relationship with him because of his death, because of his forgiveness, because of him giving us his Holy Spirit to live within us, who is able to make a difference through us in the world. Which brings us, I guess, to a very important question. Is your Jesus interested in justice? Is your Jesus all of these and the one who came to bring justice on earth? The one who wants us to care about street people all year round. To care about people with other sexual preferences. To care about the environment, to care about the widow, to care about the orphan, to care about racism, to care about others who live in other continents. Did he call us to be those who care about justice? Is your Jesus big enough to be the one that Mary sings about in this song? the one that God wants us to help him change the world. I said Mary's pondering was wrapped around that phrase, who is he in yonder stall? She's trying to figure out who this baby is, and I think at Christmas that's not a bad way to be, to begin to figure out, have we made Jesus too small? Have we kept him a baby? Have we made him a nice Jesus? Do we allow him to die for our sins? Do we allow him to care about justice, to care about the poor? Do we allow him to preach that sermon that he preached in Nazareth? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the day of the Lord. I think as we reflect on what Christmas means we're reminded that this story so beautifully anchored in this birth so beautifully anchored in something that our kids can understand also has a depth to it also has this depth that God sent Jesus into the world in order to bring his kingdom in order to bring God's kingdom here and we join in Trying to usher in that kingdom because we pray in that Lord's Prayer about God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the kingdom that God is trying to bring. That people are changed through a relationship with him. And through that inward change, outward change begins to happen that justice begins to flow. And whether it flows to people who are Christian or people who aren't, whether it flows in the church or where it flows in society, the story of Christmas is anchored in these men of Caesar and Herod and Quirinius because it's a story that makes a difference. Not just in our hearts, but it has to start there. Not just in our church, but it needs to flow there. But in the world. That God wants this to be the beginning of his kingdom coming. His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Or as that carol puts it, Tis the Lord, O wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Because the reality is, if he is the king of all, then he does have a political agenda. And the other political figures are on that Christmas story because Jesus is coming to replace them, or at least to prove that he is Lord over them as well. Who is he in yonder stall? Well, not just baby Jesus, not just loving Jesus, not just saving Jesus, but King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, as we prepare for Christmas this week, we pray, God, that you would help us to understand some of the dynamics of that story of Christmas. Some of these things that might make us uncomfortable this morning. But may we be reminded that you came to bring your justice. That you came to overturn some of the wrong. That you came to begin to usher in your kingdom. And Father, we thank you that we have this relationship with you through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. That we can be those who bring this good news to the poor of our day that you care about them that you want to see justice and father God as we bring the gospel where we go we pray oh God we would also bring your justice and we thank you for what Christmas means to us and we thank you for all this in the name of your son Jesus Christ. Amen.